This is Beth Butler, and thank you for listening to From the Ground Up, where we chat with people in and around the real estate industry. I have been in the real estate business for 35 years, and much of my experience has been about building the business from the ground up. And I'm pleased to share some of the people who I've met along the way and who have helped me build in this podcast. Today on From the Ground Up podcast, we welcome Shirag Shah, who is the founder and CEO of ShiragShahLearning.com. Shirag has combined his 13 years of real estate experience with the firsthand insights he gained as the director of coaching and training at Compass to launch Shirag Shah Coaching, the premier real estate coaching company designed exclusively for Compass agents. Shirag believes in people-first coaching philosophy. He spends time understanding what is most important to his individual clients, the direction they want to take their business and their lives, and then he creates a custom roadmap to help them get there, investing in their success in each step along the way. In his 5,000-plus hours of coaching Compass agents, he has found that this approach, along with concise planning, daily accountability, and specific tactical strategies, leads his clients to work more efficiently, increasing their earnings, and live more fulfilled lives. By working with Chirag Shah Coaching, you can expect to create systems, structures, and processes that will integrate your business into your life, maintain healthy boundaries, and bring your vision for the future to life. Welcome today to From the Ground Up, Chirag Shah. Thank you. It's it's an honor. So I'm excited to kick things off and share my journey and story and hopefully other people can benefit from it. I love that. So let's go back a bit. When did you get into real estate and what were you doing before you got into real estate? Like many kids out of college, I was living at home with my parents. I started off as a financial consultant and I had the concept that if I was going to manage people's money, that I could also help them buy and sell real estate. So how I got my license was even more interesting. I was 23 years old. It was actually on my mom's birthday. I went to a gym at this odd hour. And I remembered some weird guy saying, if you did cardio and lifting weights in the same day, it would destroy your body. And there was someone else there. His name is Tony. And him and I just kind of looked at each other. and We started talking. I found out he had his own real estate company. And he had this new construction development he represented And I said, hey, would you sponsor me having a license? He said, sure. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't interview anyone. And I went and got my license. And that's how my real estate career started. How did you decide to coach? You know, coaching has always been something that's been a passion of mine. So it it really started from where I really started in real estate. I was very much a learn and do person. I joined a smaller company. So I had to learn everything on my own. So I always thought as I went through this journey, it would be so beneficial for people to have mentorship and that type of experience. And I've always been coached, right? I've had a coach since I was probably 24 years old. So coaching kind of just fell into a passion of mine and wanting to help people. And my mom used to joke around when I was a kid, Beth, and say that, you know, if I could collect people's problems and try to solve them, I'd be the richest person in the world if it was a job. And little <laughs> do you know, like being a coach is kind of kind of doing that, right? Helping people see through some of their challenges, becoming the best version of themselves. So I would always just help people, right? And I would sh- very excitingly share what I knew to another person as the joy I got was helping them be successful, at my real estate board, the Hudson Gateway Association of Realtors, 
I kicked off our Young Professionals Network from 12 people to over 1,000, and it was all based on teaching classes. So I've constantly did this, and people always told me that I was in the wrong career selling houses. I either should be a coach or a keynote speaker. So that's kind of how this started. It was very organic. So you were teaching classes at the local real estate board? Yeah, I would teach technology all the time, right? How to do social media, how to do video, how to be your authentic self, how to communicate with people differently. And I always believed in like this people first philosophy. And that's what I always wanted to share with people, right? How can you communicate with people authentically and help share and get people to get what they want while not doing something that's not authentic to you? So how did that actually translate into being a coach? Did you, did somebody approach you from the class? I mean, how did that, how did that teaching those classes at the board actually lead to having, to having your first client? Well, I was coaching people pro bono for years, right? I would find people that need help. They'd come up to me and say, Hey, let's schedule a call. Let's get, just get into it. Right. When I was originally the first the first structured set of meetings I would have with people was when I was a client at Tom Ferry. I was always very much into digital before a lot of other people were. And the people would reach out and contact me. Some of the coaches would, some of the other people would. I'd get on calls and share what I did. So I was coaching for many years. I never actually understood the concept of coaching as a business versus just collaborating and sharing. It was many years after doing this and just wanting to help people that I realized there's like a whole actual business side of this and it could be a real career. I was, before I came to Compass, I started doing keynote speeches in various parts of the country. Um, I started getting hired as a keynote speaker. I started doing consulting projects for people. And that's when I really realized that there is more than just these, you know, one-off conversations or one-month conversations. And to be honest, doing it for one month, I never got to see things through really to where I saw people's potential was. So I always thought, coaching was this ongoing thing. So that's kind of where it began for me and how it turned into an actual business. So, so do you find that most people that you work with are trying to master technology, the technology aspects of the business, or is it more about how they build their business a little bit of each? How do you position yourself in a, in a way to help them? So our, we have three core principles, right? And really it's like what our mission statement is, is we want to help agents do three things, live a more fulfilled life, work more efficiently, and ultimately earn more money. I know the same reasons why everyone talks about getting into real estate. It's like freedom, flexibility, and limitless income, right? But most people are like work-obsessed machines. They're working more than they want to. They feel like they're on demand. And some of them aren't even making the money that they want, right? So in terms of positioning, I would say if coaching isn't helping your life get better along with your business, it's bullshit. It doesn't really work. So we want to understand if you're my client, I'd say, you know, what do you want for your life? What do you want for your business? Let's really get clear on what that is and then create a customized roadmap to get you there. Because no two businesses are the same and no two people are the same. Yeah. So it sounds like a, it's a little bit of life coaching as well, right? I mean, I agree. I think you see real estate agents and they really have trouble and it's hard in a business where you really are on demand, right? To have that work-life balance showings are at off hours, you know, you're trying to, you know, try and keep your family life first is very much a challenge in that. So, so do you get into that aspect of, of, of trying to help people draw boundaries, do time blocking, do you do things like that? 
You know, I find the word life coach a really interesting word. And when people hear it, there's such a stigma attached to it. And there's so much resistance to even the word and the concept of if someone wants to grow their business, like, wait, I don't need a life coach. And, you know, part of having a great business is having a great life. So when we talk about this concept of work-life balance and everything else, it comes down to this. I believe real estate is a luxury service. And the question I ask agents all the time, Beth, is, is it truly a luxury service you offer or is it more like a bodega? And they're like, no, it's a luxury service, right? And I'm like, well, you name me one luxury service and brand that's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week and works on demand. It doesn't exist, right? No. No, it doesn't. It's it's true. Although I don't know, maybe concierge doctor. I mean, I could think of of a few, but it's certainly true. We don't have to make ourselves as available as we do. I mean, it's 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 a life of no boundaries if you let it happen. So I guess with that in mind, do you think everybody needs a coach? And if so, why or why not? I do think everyone needs a coach, right? And to finish up your original question is it is in terms of work life balance, right? Every business in the world has defined operating procedures, hours, communication methods with their clients where the expectations are set. So like in working with agents, we help them develop that for their business, which ultimately powers their life. So that's kind of how the work-life thing works for us. And does everyone need a coach? I find the older I get, the more coaches I hire, right? Like I'm working with three different people right now on three different distinct aspects of my life and my business. And if you look at Michael Jordan, he had Tim Grover. Kobe Bryant had Tim Grover. You look at Tiger Woods, he has a coach. And I think everyone can benefit from a coach, Beth. But the real question is, are you really ready to be coached? So go down that just a little bit more. So what, what does it take to be ready to be coached? Well, as, as I describe it to people, people are hiring a coach to they're paying money to be help have somebody make them uncomfortable and do the things that they'd normally never be able to do on their own and make sure that gets out of them. Because the thing is, is, you know, I always have this joke is that you're this, if someone's the smartest person in the room, if they could answer all their own questions and being ready to coach is, is really saying, I'm really willing to change. I'm really, really to look at my business, my habits, the way that I do things in a way that I have not done before. And also being open to the concept of somebody providing you direction where you can ask questions, but people that are coachable ask how, people that are uncoachable ask why. I want you to repeat that because that, that, that's actually very profound. Could you say that again? Yeah, people that are coachable are going to ask how. People that are uncoachable are going to ask why. So true. That's so true. I've never had to put that way, but I mean, oh my gosh, it's like a flood of information came forward with, with that just tidbit. I think of so many times people ask me why instead of how, oh my gosh, amazing. Amazing. Thank you. I, I I'm writing that one down. That's worth saving. Um, with that in mind, what metrics do you use for accountability? So accountability works in, in, in different ways. The way we have structured, the way we have our coaching program, and I think any coaching should work, it needs to be systematic. So at the end of each session, there is something that, like on our note sheet, there's something the coach can be accountable for, something that the client is accountable for. And in terms of accountability, you need to make sure that you get your work done from one week to the next. I, I just don't believe 
if you're in coaching and you're going week after week and I'm saying, Beth, did you get this done? What did it happen? Share your wins. I could call my mom to do that. Quite frankly, my mother would do that better than any coach because she'd be calling me five times a day and haunt me until <laughs> every last single thing was done. That's not what you're paying a business coach for, right? Like, So accountability metrics is, is one, it's setting out 30, 60, 90-day goals. Like, Let's be very clear. I'm a big believer in clarity on where we're going, what we're doing, and how we're going to get there. So at the end of 30 days, there should be a measurable amount of stuff that you've completed, right? Like if it's if you're working on lead gen, did you make your contacts every day? If you're building out systems, did you really do the work in between the sessions to take the stuff out of your head and start itemizing it and operationalizing it as you're supposed to so we could review it and start putting it into a standard operating procedure? Well, how much slack do you give somebody? So let's just say you're coaching me and we leave with a, with an understanding that by next week, X, Y, and Z will be done. What happens when I come and I say, oh, Shrug, I'm so sorry, but, you know, I got slammed. I had 6,000 showings, my favorite excuse. I, You know, I had 6,000 showings. You know, my assistant has COVID. I had, you know, the dog ate my homework. The list goes on. So how do you... How do you handle not meeting those weekly short-term goals? I give everyone one free pass, right? And it's kind of like, look, something happened. So let's really realize, like, where did you not prioritize this and how come you have no self-control? Yeah, I mean, I guess that the thing that I find most frustrating in, in years of dealing with agents, right, is just the structure of the day and that accountability for time. And I'm sure you share that with me. And so it, it, it will be things like, well, we had a business meeting or we had a one-on-one scheduled or we had our bi-monthly sales meeting that you know is important, you know you need to go to. And the answer is, all like, I had a showing. And I always want to say, well, couldn't you have made the showing at a different time? I mean, how 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 is it that that becomes an excuse that should let everybody off the hook? Or shouldn't it? It shouldn't, actually. It's, one, I, I always say it's a lack of self-discipline and self-control. If you look at any service that people do, like one thing I'm always very mindful of and I help agents communicate with clients, if they could help the client relate their service, the buyer or seller, to something that they already know, like, trust, and believe to be true in their world, then it's fine, right? Like you can't call doctors and lawyers and all these other dentists, any of these other higher-end expensive services and just show up and be on demand. Right. So the question becomes this, I would ask you, and we could do some real life coaching. I would ask to you at what point do you want to make a change in your life where you can live proactively versus living reactively where anyone could hit a button, make you jump out of your seat and run around like a clown. Right. Like that, that is a real, and I don't use the word clown like a circus, but like, you know, we're not on demand. Like you have a name, it's Beth Butler. It's not on demand. So the question becomes for some people, I will tell them, great. Like, Put this in your schedule, add me to the calendar, invite, text me when it starts, text me when it's done, and I expect the work to be done. After. I'm, I'm a big believer in time blocking. I mean, you, 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 as you get to know me, you'll understand that I live strictly and am able to accomplish quite a bit by time blocking. And I am pretty stringent to holding to what I will do at certain times of the day and trying to, because if not, I wouldn't get anything done. I mean, I always 
say, if the minute I leave my house in the morning, the day no longer belongs to me. So I need to get everything I need to get done first thing in the morning so that I can go about my day and be available to people that need me, whether it's an agent for something or, you know, my case now a developer for whatever comes up in the day. But I can only accomplish this because I block out certain times of the day to get certain things done. Do you, do, are you a believer in time blocking? Do you, is that one of the tools that you employ? A hundred, a hundred percent. And even when we start talking about time blocking, we tell the agents to play this game of two tabs only. And they're like, what's two tabs only? Unless you're doing a comprehensive research project and you have more than two tabs open, we know you're not focused on your time block. I I would fail that one miserably. I got to tell you, you got to see my computer. I've always got 50 tabs open, but I do organize them, right? I mean, they, they are different projects that I have in different windows that are open with different tabs. Sounds like we could have a fun conversation to thinking through this in, in a different, in a different way. But look with time blocking, look, there are a lot of clients that physically need like the fact that they'll never do it for themselves but I have a lot of clients and people and agents I've met in my life that literally check in with me, right? Okay, starting my calls, finish my calls, just send me a quick recap of the results. I'm a huge fan of voice notes, right? Because it's low time in, low time out. It's a great way to communicate a lot of information quickly. But the people need time blocking, right? Like the first part of the day needs to be for them. The first part of their business needs to be things that generate the new income, and then the second half of the day can go towards servicing income appointments and, and so on and so forth. But if you don't time block, you you can't win a game without playing offense, right? And without time blocking, that's why so many agents feel like they're playing dodgeball, but the ball is only getting thrown at them. Listen, it took me a, a large number of years to get to the point where I was strict about it, but I was... You know, once I adapted that discipline in my day, I stopped feeling so beat up at the end of the day. I stopped working till 11 o'clock at night because, again, you got to get done what you got to get done in a day. And especially like when I was a, a, a mom with young kids and all the stuff that comes with being a mom and, you know, they need a costume and they need a poster board and they needed this and they needed that. And they get up really early in the morning and they, you know, have homework and you got to help them. So I was literally up so late, well into the night, you know, one, two, three o'clock in the morning, just to try and get things finished, that I was wrung out, I was super tired, I was super stressed, and I never really felt like my head was above water. So I mean, it was almost like it got to an extreme case for me to be able to adapt it. But it was, it's certainly been a big part of how I've been able to manage my life, um, which may or may not be a good thing. But but it, it I do think that it has helped. What other metrics what other tools do you employ besides time blocking? What else are good tidbits you can share with us? You know, we have a mastermind program that actually meets five times a week. So we believe that structured learning plus accountability plus a community really is what will drive success in an agent's life. And you look at real estate learning and accountability and the concept of if you're going to so many different places to get information to do one thing, it's really hard to have a recipe. I think about coaching and agent success like, you know, like, like grandma's meat sauce. Grandma's meat sauce tastes like grandma's meat sauce because it's made with a very specific recipe and it's done a very specific way. But if I went and asked for a meat sauce recipe from five different people and try to make the meat sauce, it would never taste the same because it's a little bit of everyone's ingredients. So we want to really create a sense of community, accountability, and structured learning. 
And those are the three things we find will really drive an agent's business to excel and grow and ultimately have them build better long-term habits. Some people need to be in coaching forever and some people get what they need in six months. What topics do you cover in the mastermind? I'm going to pull up one of our calendars right now and I'll walk you through what January looks like. Okay. What we want to do is we focus on themed weeks, right? So this way an agent can kind of get what they want out of it. And so this way they can see what's coming up, where should they go, so on and so forth. And while you're looking for it, I'll just say, I mean, I participated in a number of masterminds, some good, some bad. And just by the way you're starting, one of my, I guess, top complaints about a mastermind is sometimes, especially with real estate and real estate agents, sometimes it just becomes like a bitching session, right? You get people on the phone without any structure, specific topic. It tends to run negative in my mind's eye. So I love the idea that there's structure to your masterminds. And I'm hoping that you found it by now so you can share with us like what January looks like. Yeah. So January first week is fresh start. So Monday we'll go through pitch and compass. Every Tuesday we highlight what we call agent talk, where we highlight a top agent around compass around the country who's going to openly share something they're doing very successful and will itemize all the steps to do it. Wednesdays get to know your social media self. Thursday we have our wellness doctor, Dr. Boyana, to come talk about a healthy start in 2021. And Friday is embracing a beginner's mindset. So that week's about fresh starts. The next week would be the theme is back to basics, monetizing the compass platform. Then the third week is on sellers and the last week is on buyers. So each day has a different structure. And what we believe is, is that all sessions should be recorded. That's a low barrier of entry, but more importantly, I call it real estate learning. The challenge with real estate learning is it's very hard to be present and ignore your cell phone, listen to a facilitator, take notes, and then be able to take action because you have so many different things to do. So we record the sessions and we actually take notes, Beth, for everybody, which has all the highlights, all the action steps. And we want to, we built the notes with the concept of if you just looked at the notes and never watched a video, you'd still know what to do. So that's kind of our, our process of how we believe structured group learning should be. And this way they're constantly getting different bits of information but it all connects together and it has all the steps, right? I'm a big believer in don't just tell someone what they need to do because they probably came there knowing what they needed to do. They need to know how to do it. So it's about making it simple and giving the agents all the steps to do it. So don't say make a marketing campaign. If you're going to tell them a marketing campaign, give them three examples of what the marketing should look like. Do you do do any exploration individually with, with people's coaching? I think that uh, at least for me, again, uh, I find, and this isn't just in, in real estate agents. It's also, I find it with developments I work for with a lot of things like people start with the checklist and they just kind of jump into the checklist without really ever delving into like a strategy behind it. What are they? I mean, everybody knows what the end goal is, but they're not necessarily sure with how they might need to modify some of that checklist to make it resonate with, with themselves. Do you do any of that personal exploration? Absolutely. So for people in one-on-one coaching, the first thing we do is we have them fill out a seven-page intake form. And Rory Gallat actually shared this with me. He goes, the one thing that I find really is different about you versus other coaches, he said, is how much time you take to really understand an agent's entire business. So I I and myself and all of our coaches, I think it's for an agent, it's a seven-page intake form. And then we have another one that's seven or eight pages for a team. And if you're a producing agent with the team, we ask you to fill out both of them. You can't 
give, I, I personally, this is my view, I find it a conflict of interest if you're giving business advice as a coach if you don't know somebody's whole business because everything is connected one way or another. It's like energy. But if you don't know all the pieces and what somebody's doing and the informed direction that they have going into the process, it's very hard to make accurate recommendations that are scalable and can lead to long-term success. So the first step, I believe, in any successful relationship is learning an agent's business. What are they doing? What do they think is working? Where do they think they have areas of growth? And then reading that, it'll tell you their whole story right there. Any like SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, um, anything like that? So we, we do it a little bit differently. We want to understand like what is somebody's motivations? What are somebody's expectations? What areas have been disappointments in their business? What areas of concern do they have? In terms of like a SWOT analysis, we put things in there like what are their preferred methods of learning? What lead generation systems are they using? What basic foundational systems are they using in their business? How are they with their compass pitch? How well are they utilizing the platform? What areas and skills, whether it's listing presentation, objection handling, writing offers, winning multiple bids, we'll have them rank what those are. So we'll get a really good idea of where they are both in sales, operations, lead generation, where their mindset is in their business, right? Where do they feel the largest pain point is? One of the questions that we like to ask is, you know, what do you think is the next level of your business? And what do you think is missing for you to get there? And what would you like a coach to help you with immediately? And those three things are very much representative of what the agents want to do right away. What I find is where we start and where it goes generally tends to be two different things. Because once you start really digging in, one thing affects others. For sure. Now, I know you've mentioned a little bit about having other coaches. Tell us a little bit about your organization and your staff. What's interesting is an agent, Beth, once asked me recently before they signed up for coaching, they said, if you're going to coach me on growing your business or his business, what have you done with yours? I was like, well, we started on April 1st in the pandemic. He's like, how's that gone for you? I was like, it's good. We have six staff members and five coaches, right? So a lot of the people that work here with us actually either were previous Compass employees or Compass agents. I believe there are certain agents that have a great skill set for coaching because they do it on their team. It's very natural to them. They like contributing to others. So two of our coaches are on are frequently on the Real Trends list. We have another coach who has 30 years of executive leadership experience, coaching Fortune 500 companies in five different continents, mostly C-level executives in leadership. We have another coach that's perfect for personal branding and how to really grow your agent-to-agent referral network with Encompass. And then we have another one that has great experience with the platform and is over 10,000 hours as an employee helping agents grow their business on the Compass platform. We really wanted to create that, a diverse group of people because everyone has a different need. And the thing that makes us unique is it's interchangeable. If you get three, if you get three months, four months, five months working with me and you want to grow a personal brand, we'll shift you over to the person who's going to do that best for you. We don't like the concept and we find this just in hearing feedback, but sometimes people end up with coaches and after a while they become more like checking calls because they've got what they can get out of the coach and there's really nowhere else. Or can they rotate from coach to coach? Or they, how does that work with all the different coaches with all the different strengths? It rotates. Like I have a client now and she really wants to redo her personal brand, her newsletter, the way she communicates her social. 
So I think based on our project, it should take two months. So for the next two months, she'll work with a different coach. And then at the end of it, she can choose to stay with him or come back to me after. So we want to just do what's best for the client, right? So most people will spend several months with the coach, right? Because there's a difference between curing a symptom and curing the cause. We like to work on like, like the same functional medicine approach, which is like cure the cause. Like we understand that there could be a band-aid on doing something, but really we want to build up scalable systems for these agents that they can build something that lasts over time. That's not like, hey, let's just help you write one newsletter. Hey, no, let's think about who's your audience. How do we segment your list? How does the different messaging need to be? What's the cadence? How do you use a content calendar? And really dig in deep and give these people fundamental support so they actually understand what they're doing and how they can grow. It's very interesting. So now to your plans for growth. So what are your plans to grow? Well, in terms of growing, this is it. We just yesterday, Beth, had our full first day business retreat. And I really have an unbelievable staff with our creative director. We have a director of marketing. We have a director of brand and community experience where her whole job is, Rachel's whole job is, how do I connect people together and get them to have the best experience there possible here? You know, I have my executive assistant, Deborah, who does wears so many different hats for us. And then we also have just a social media marketer and a content creator. So in terms of our growth, we just hired a profitability coach as well. So what we wanted to do in growth is we wanted to give an agent one place that they could run their whole business, right? And this isn't for everybody, but if you think about it, you need a coach. You need some form of structured learning for a lot of people to go to every day. You need somebody to do your social media. And ultimately, you need a profitability coach. Who's going to do your P&L? Who's going to advise you financially on what the numbers mean? Where's your ROI? So we've created one centralized place specifically for compass agents to do that. And the way that we believe is quality over quantity will continue to grow smartly. And once our coach is at capacity, until we have the right culture fit for our team and the right culture fit and skill set for the agents, we'll put people on a wait list. And if they can join our group coaching, if they want one-on-one coaching, they'll have to wait till a slot opens. Okay. But it sounds like you've grown really so much during a time when other people's businesses has basically shrinked up and, and died away. So what do you attribute that to? One, it, it's results, right? It's one of results. And a lot of my growth, I'll say, you know, I, I had the privilege of working with Lori for for several years at Compass and I learned so much from him and all the things that he learned were able to really help me grow my business. And I've thought through things in the way that he taught me and just kind of what I've learned at Compass, right? And one is the support of the company, the organization and leadership. The second is having a great service. And the third is being really strategic and expanding my network. And it's with a give first philosophy. I was like, I, like I said, when I met you, I'd like to share value with you. And if you see value in how I can help you, I have the hope that you'll help me in my business. And that's the same mindset that we've taken. And, you know, I started working out of uh, corporate in, in New York region. And, you know, we work now with agents in 10 different states. It's amazing. And how do agents mostly find you? Sales managers, agents, um, some of the SGMs refer us. When agents come aboard, they find it very Agents coming to Compass find it very exciting and unique that there is a company that they can collaborate with that actually knows the platform, knows the system, and can help them with their own unique 
aspects of what they came to conference for. Good, good. So last question before we get to lightning round. Is there, and if so, what is the absolute one thing an agent must do to be successful? If you're not generating new income every day, you're eventually going to have a month where you don't have money. And it's that's a really simple thing. But the other thing I would say is, and I know now I'm getting to a second thing, it's having a bigger picture mindset, right? It's It's playing chess versus checkers. And if you look at checkers, you're just trying to, you know, hop a piece and say king move, right? But if you're playing chess, there's a lot of different moving parts and you're moving pieces in anticipation of what you can do with other pieces. And I always say, if you put two agents in a room together and you watch their business over 12, 18, 24 months, the person that's playing checkers is transactional. The person that's playing chess is somebody that's looking on building a career. And the person playing chess is always going to think bigger and is always going to win over time. Because the way they make decisions, the way they approach things are going to be from such as Robert says, such dreaming big, right? If you have a big dream, you're going to make big decisions. If you have a little dream, you're going to make little decisions. So it's understanding that big picture mindset. And the third part is, is being open to feedback and growth. There's so many agents I meet that are capped out that, you know, there's a difference between it's expensive and I can't afford it. So I think like if you see value in something, the price doesn't matter. But if you don't see value in it, you're always tied to cost. That's great. Great. I'm, I'm thinking about that. I think that's, that's really actually solid advice and I appreciate it. So we call this podcast from the ground up and we close with a lightning round of questions so that our listeners get to know you and how you grew from the ground up. Are you ready? Ready to rock and roll. Okay, where were you born? New York City. New York City. And birth order, brothers, sisters, oldest, youngest? I'm the oldest of two. Uh, I have a younger brother who's two years younger than me. There you go. Where is he? My brother is a CPA, and he's in Fairfield, Connecticut, and I live in Westport, Connecticut. What's your academic background? I was a person who liked to have a lot of fun. <laughs> I like that. You know, I, I I live in the home of Suntan U, so yes, I think college is meant to is it, certainly meant to have fun. So I think that's a great answer. Who do you consider your best teacher? My failures. Okay, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, did you have a college major? Communications. And and that shows. What was your first job in life? Working in my parents' stationery store. Oh, they had a stationery store. Do they still have a stationery store? You know, it's interesting. It's Futterman Stationery. Um, for people that are in New York or Westchester County, my dad was the third generation owner. The store now has been there 90 years. And that's people want to know how I understand relationships and people. Uh, from a, As a kid coming from immigrant parents, you know, like when you could see over the counter, you generally have to work there. So I never understood as a college kid or even in high school when the holidays came that my parents would get bread, chocolate, alcohol, all this stuff. As I got older, I enjoyed it, right? Like especially in college with the, with the alcohol. But, right. you know, I, I was like, mom, you guys like sell stationery and lotto tickets. I don't get it. And then I realized like what kind of human connection that my parents had with people. My mom, like, knew generations of families and kids that went there. They knew, you know, the parents or kids. And then the kids went to college and they knew them. And it was just, it, it was just this incredible thing. And I learned from them, it's about always doing the right thing, the way you connect with people. You always listen before you talk. And that human connection 
is the most valuable thing. And when my parents sold their store, I remember a lady one time coming up to my mom, like crying in like a supermarket. And I was like, so weird, you know, and I saw the lady another time and she goes, do you know how much I miss your mom? And I'm like, oh my God, like what is, what's going on? Right. And she goes, do you know, I started my day six days a week where your mom was the first person I talked to for the last 25 years. Unbelievable. And I was like, wow. And, and that's where I learned about relationships, the value of them. And really every practice that I have in my business today and a lot of the learnings I share with agents all actually come from my mom and dad. Amazing. Amazing. When did they sell the store? In 2013. And thank God my son was born because I don't know what they would have done. My dad says, my dad always says 66 hours in a week was the easiest week I ever had in my life. Oh, wow. So, So who do you consider your best mentor? My father was my best mentor. And I could say, in terms of people that I would say really are like outside of my parents and everything, the person who I say has the largest impact on my life and transforming the way that I think, I would say is Rory Gallup. You know, I say that the greatest gift that he gave me was I would go to these meetings with him, Beth, and like I'd have all this stuff prepared and the meeting would be 30 minutes. We'd be like seven, eight minutes into it. And he'd be like, all right, um, this, yes, this, no. I want you to go back and think about these things this way and then come back. And I remember being so pissed the first time. I'm like, what the hell? I'm like, you know the answer. We have 23 more minutes. He goes, no, I really just need you to go think this through and present this. And he kept doing it over and over again. And then I realized over the time we worked together, I learned an entire new way of thinking through business, making decisions, having things be scalable. And he still is a great friend and a mentor to me and, and really helped shape to get me to where I am today. That's interesting. And again, for anybody that knows Rory, that is very Rory, but it, but it is a great way to learn. And um, th- thank you for sharing that. Um, tell us about your family. I know you've got two dogs because they've chimed in on the podcast. Yeah, I have, I have my wife, Kristen, who is the definition of the entrepreneur's wife. My wife will famously tell you that one day, like things that it's like being married to me. Yeah, my husband started in, in a new business one day told us that he spent all this money, flew these people in from California, and that we're going to have people in and out of our house shooting videos, and this is this new business venture we're doing. So my wife is definitely my my partner and somebody who's been just an incredible sounding board and so supportive of growth and just going on this whole entrepreneurial journey. I have my first son, Chirag, right? And uh, he's seven years old. I have my daughter, Valentina. She's four years old. I have our two-year-old German Shepherd, Desi, who you probably hear barking at some points, and I have a 15-year-old dog that's completely blind, Lucy, and that is our household. Desi and Lucy. <laughs> it happened by accident, too. Oh, really? Yeah, really? Lucy, we had Lucy. Lucy was like a package deal that came with my wife, right, when I met her, and this dog is literally obsessed with me. It's a touch, it's a very sticky subject for my wife, because she says the dog just abandoned her. The dog literally will sit by my feet all day, every day. And then when we adopted our German Shepherd, excuse me, we didn't adopt it. We got, him for, got her from a breeder. Her name was Desi. So we were originally going to change it to the dinosaur blue because my son loves Jurassic Park. But the dog was 16 years old, crate trained and housebroken when we got her, 16 uh, weeks. So we thought changing the name would take all those habits away. So we never did. 
So I like that though. It's a great story. It feels like it was that it, it's a great way to name two dogs anyway, but that it happened coincidentally is just kind of fun. Lucy and Desi, I will remember that. I'll ask you about them often. So you said you live in Westport. What do you like best about your home? We are in real estate after all, so we gotta talk, we gotta talk real estate. Gotta talk shop. Um what do I love about my home? I love the space that we have, right? I came from Westchester, so there wasn't a lot of land. We have a huge backyard that sits almost on pretty much an acre of land. I love the location of my house. My house is exactly one mile from the beach. So I could run there. And when it's nice out, I take my dog and I run by the water in the morning. It's beautiful, right? Like it takes me eight, nine minutes to get to the beach, three minutes in the car. So during COVID, it was perfect. We went to the beach two, three, four, five times a week with the kids. A nice place to escape. What is your favorite vacation spot? Anywhere that's on a beach that does not require me doing anything, I could sit in the sun in the spa forever. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Uh, what is your morning routine? So my morning routine, this is something I'm very passionate about. Pre-COVID, it's changed a little bit. Um, I would normally get up at 3.30 in the morning. I go to the gym religiously at 4, 4.15. I believe when you wake up in the morning, you need to drink 8 to 12 ounces of water because you're dehydrated. You should stick, for most people, you should stick AirPods or something in and put, whether it's music or ideally some form of positive audio that motivates you. The key to getting up out of bed and moving in the morning is brushing your teeth because the neuro association with brushing your teeth and opening your eyes is your day started. So I challenge anyone to go brush their teeth if they're groggy in the morning and try to go back to bed, it won't happen. And then after that, you know, you go to the gym and... Look, the, I find the gym the cornerstone of my routine and day in the sense it is the one place that you can go every single day to push yourself out of your comfort zone. So at any point, you could mentally break yourself every day, which is really my goal every morning, to get to that point where I mentally and physically feel like I can't do any more and know that I can keep going. And once I win that battle in the morning, everything else that comes after that's easy. So after the gym, I have a healthy breakfast and I get my day started. Things you want to avoid in the morning, I would say, for routines are email because your inbox is an organized system for other people's agenda. So literally people open their eyes and go to their email and the day goes, Beth, from being about you and finding joy, like you said earlier, once you leave the house, the day belongs to everybody else. That point when you wake up in the morning, it's generally when you're the most excited, the most hopeful, and all the things you want to do are on the forefront of your mind. So I believe creating your day and social media for a lot of people, you're looking at what everyone else is saying is like the best part of their day. And for some people, psychologically, it's just the wrong thing to do. So I believe morning routines are about creating happiness, putting yourself in that peak state where you could perform and be the best version of yourself. 3.30 in the morning, though? Really? No, I can't do that. Yeah, I, I woke up. When I moved from Westchester to Connecticut, everyone's like, oh, so you're not going to... I went to Lifetime Fitness. I love the gym. I used everything there. And, you know, I would stretch. I would work out. I'd sit in the sauna. I'd take a shower. I'd eat breakfast. I'd spend time with my friends there. My best friend would meet me there in the morning, every morning. So it was nice. So when I moved to Westport, people were like, ha, huh, let's see how you keep that morning routine now. So I said, you know what? There's nothing like a good challenge. So I went from going to the gym at 4.30 in the morning to 4 o'clock. So I'd wake up. And one of the things I love about my house is there's a beautiful set of stars out there every morning. So I'd start my day that way. I can't do that anymore because 
if I wake with the hours I work, if I woke up my dogs and kids and they started barking that early in the morning, I think my wife might shoot me. So <laughs> I've had to make some adjustments and look, in all fairness, she spent many years supporting my routine. So now I support her getting up earlier. I'll spend some time with my kids and get up later and then work out. But I'm, I'm looking forward to setting my clock earlier in the new year and trying to get back to four o'clock. So, so when you get up at 4 a.m., what time do you go to sleep? Well, we all have our problems. I was going to bed at like 11 o'clock, 11, 10. <laughs> yeah, that, that, but that's not healthy to get only four four hours of sleep a night. So, so, so no, I, I guess if six. You, six, I'm good with six. Are um, you really? Yeah, and what I learned out of that is, is when I was doing this, I was traveling all around the New York region of Compass, right? I was, you know, some weeks I'd be in the Hamptons, other weeks I'd be in the city, then another day I'd be in Brooklyn, then I would be in Westchester, then I'd be in Connecticut, like it was all over the place. And what I found is if you can wake up in the morning, follow the right routine, really push yourself out of that comfort zone and mentally break yourself, you are in such a peak state by the time you get out of that you can accomplish anything in a day. And the other part of this is self-awareness. I knew when I went to the city, I was getting to the office at seven o'clock. And I remember seeing Robert there one time and telling him like, he's like, what are you doing here so early? It was like one of the days that he was on like um, CNN. And I said, look, I, I get here early. I'm presenting at corporate headquarters. So I want to be prepared, but you know, I want to get ahead. And he's kind of like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I go, look, if I get here two hours before work every single day, right? He's like, yeah. I'm like, I work 10 hours a week more than everybody else, 40 hours more in a month and an entire, in an entire year, it's like almost two or three months of extra work. I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm bound to get ahead in the process. Good advice. Good advice. What do you consider your biggest failure and your best success? I've had a lot of failures, right? So I think one of the reasons I do well is my relationship to failing so one of the things I could say I failed, one of my greatest failures is I started this thing called Lifestyle Westchester. And we built this thing up, Beth, from the ground up over 18 months of rival Westchester Magazine, Low HUD. We were doing these huge events for charity. And I had the owner of Cat's Deli come to one of my events. And I would say my biggest failure is not seeing that through, right? We just literally, when I came to Compass, I was like, I'm going to spend the year focused on myself, my career, and I'm not going to do anything else. And I would say that's the biggest failure, right? Because the potential for that is limitless. The way we built it, the community, I got offered a lot of things from Westchester County that I turned down. So ultimately I chose a different path. And, you know, when I came to Compass and I had the opportunity just to coach and train agents, it's been my lifelong passion and dream. I chose that direction. So that was my greatest failure. I'd say my greatest success is really my compass journey or what we, what these last few years were like. I remember very vividly coming to compass and, you know, the year before I came there, we built this whole lifestyle Westchester brand up, which was like a media company. I had won the 40 under 40 award from the Westchester business council. I was one of 20 people to go through this exclusive leadership Westchester training where you have to fill out this whole application. I had an executive seat as the vice president of my MLS. I was part of this big merger that they did and all types of other stuff. I was teaching those YPN classes, which were going great. And, you know, I was in the mid middle of like creating a whole new brand and a business. So everything was firing on all cylinders and I just stopped and, and I, you know, I came to compass and I started off in Westchester County, 
just working in a few offices and to end up from there to working directly with Rory and creating both of uh, the presentations we collaborate on in the Nashville retreat, the Miami retreat, creating Pitch and Compass, to being able to work both regionally, nationally, across all these different departments, and, and really building relationships with people all throughout Compass, through the leadership level, through agents, through sales managers, and throughout the other country, and building this business where I've really been able to help other people find a place that they can come and be fulfilled every day. That's, I would say, my greatest success, is that journey from where I started to where I am today and the joy that I've been able to create for other people in the process. Do you have any aspirational goals? I have a lot of aspirational goals, and I think I would share this in transparency for a lot of entrepreneurs out there. That's a problem. I find aspirational goals sometimes the opposite of enjoying life with the people around us. So there's this internal drive for all of us entrepreneurs, all the salespeople to want to be the best on a hyper growth. And one of the things I've been working with a mindfulness coach now for several months. And one of the things I've become really present to is my aspirational goal used to be like, kind of like, I want to build like a great, like once in a lifetime company. Right. But then I also realized like I can build a great company, but I want to build a once in a lifetime life. So my aspirational goals is to be fulfilled both in work and in life right? To be present in every moment that I am with every person I'm in front of. And if I can inspire to do that, I think my life is completely fulfilled and I'll reach every goal and aspiration I ever had. So, so that, that's interesting. A mindfulness coach. I just, just, just to deviate for just a second. Tell me what, what does that look like? I, I, I've never worked with a mindfulness coach. You know, it's not what I thought it was, right? I, I'm, I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't need to somebody say, hey, calm down, <laughs> the trees, life is great, be present. No, life really sucks sometimes. Things are bad. Life is stressful. You know, what I've learned in mindfulness over the last two months, I've actually learned more about myself than I ever could have imagined, right? I, I'm a pretty transparent person, but I also have a lot, like most people do, like underneath and mindfulness has helped me think through all of the things I do in a whole different context, right? And this concept of really being present in the moment and learning more about what I really want. You know, one of the things we talk about mindfulness is, is that we all have this mask. We all have this mask that we put on of this perception of somebody that we need to be. And we all have an ability to live without the mask and really just be our authentic selves. And you look at people that are their authentic selves, that are completely present, that enjoy the people that they're around, they're the happiest people, right? And it doesn't matter what they have or what they don't have. It's not what they're thinking about, right? Like I always say to people, and I find this interesting because I, I'm not a hypocrite in anything. I'm a big believer. Practice what you preach. Life is about two things, connection and meaning, the connections that we have with the people that we meet and the meaning we associate to. So mindfulness has just been this ongoing exploration of what does that look like both in my business and in my life and in my relationships and just constantly different ways of thinking through things. You know, I have a, a great coach who is so smart and intuitive, far more than just like the, the actual meditation of it and the practice of breathing and how that could really just change your mindset and how you feel throughout a day, and your ability to just slow things down. So Look, I know I've helped people's lives get better. This has been one of the best things that I've done for myself. And as I joke around to her, I'll be your client forever. Because each week, this just keeps getting better and better. 
Last question, where can people connect with you? Um, they can connect with me. They can email me or they can go to my website, shragshahlearning.com, C-H-I-R-A-G-S-H-A-H, learning, L-E-R-N-I-N-G.com. My personal email is cs at shragshahcoaching.com. And or you can find me on Instagram, shragshahny. Tried and true New Yorker. I might say, I might live in Connecticut, but if anyone asks, I'll forever say I'm from New York. It feels like a bit of a poser to me living in Connecticut, but you got a New York Instagram handle. I don't know about that. <laughs> I, I never, I never thought I would move to Connecticut. And somebody asked me why, how did I even end up here? And when my company was acquired, I went to Compass, you know, my entire life was built around me, right? Like I, I was predominantly working. My wife always worked within my within our company in real estate, whether it was photography, learning how to do Matterports. She's helped with all our marketing. She has an incredible design background. You know, she ran our social media page, grew it from zero to 20,000 people. And I asked her this question. I said, look, Kristen, I go, the gym's five minutes from here. My parents are 15 minutes from here. This entire life is built. This, our entire life is built around one thing, making my life convenient. So I said, if there was one thing that I could do for you that would make my life more complicated but make you the happiest person in the world, what would it be? She's like, I want to move to Connecticut. So I said, is that what you want? And she goes, yeah. I said, okay, great. So we got our house ready for sale and we put it on the market the following week. That's amazing. And do you like living in Connecticut? Do you like Westport? I mean, you talk about the beach. That's amazing. You don't have that in New York City. So do you, how do you find life there? I, we really love it here. Um, the schools are great. The community is great. It has such a vibrant downtown. And, you know, there's just like a feeling like I grew up in Larchmont, right? So it's not like I grew up in some area that wasn't great. And it was a great community. I love growing up there. But for us and our family and for the things that we like, this just feels like home for us. There's that feeling. It's not really words that you could associate with it. But, you know, from the time we moved here, we just felt like home. And I remember vividly my son saying one day, do we have to go back to our Westchester house? I was like, no, why? He goes, okay, good. I like it here much better. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I loved everything you had to say and really enjoy knowing you and look forward to spending more time with you um, over the next few months. That's certainly part of my goals for 2021, but thank you for all your wisdom that you shared today. And I really appreciate you being on. You're welcome, Beth. It's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you for allowing me to share my journey, my story. And I hope the listeners can get a lot out of it. I'm sure they will. Thank you so much. This episode of From the Ground Up was sponsored by Feather the Nest, the crowdfunding source for all of your real estate needs. Why register for silverware when you can start your way to owning or renting your own home? Please sign up for your nest at www.featherthenest.com. A special thanks to my extraordinary producer, Sohail Fazluddin, who has made this podcast possible.